The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently, we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat I will not wear the mask. 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 I will not wear a mask. I will not get the vaccine. I will not get the vaccine. And I will not get the vaccine. I will resist evil. I will resist evil. I will resist evil. I will submit to God. I will submit to God. I will submit to God. In the Lord, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust, and I will not be afraid. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day. For the Lord is the great God, and the great King above all. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Render punishment to the proud. Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked chime? Righteousness and justice are the foundation of this I hate the work of those who fall away. my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness you shall stand. On an instrument of ten strings, on the lute and on the harp, with harmony sound. For you, O Lord, have made me glad through your works. I will you, triumph Lord, in the works of your are on high forevermore. For behold, your enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. I will defy tyrants. 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 And good day, America. Welcome, Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people, all the boat rockers are in the house, and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty radio show. Here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible and the Constitution, not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S. occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. And for our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns about. I hold to the book, the Bible, as the authoritative word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us here this morning. If you'd like to check us out online, please do so. SonsOfLibertyRadio.com and also SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. In fact, if you're listening by way of Red State, uh, Red State Talk Radio and you want to watch the video portion of the radio show, that's right, and see the face that's made for radio, head over to SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. you got two videos at the top of the page there. And yes, you'll see, I, I never lie to you, we are actually recording this live. So we're live now, but you know I don't get off on a track of that because it'll mess my whole you know, intro up. Anyway, there's two videos at the top of the page there. The one on the left side, all of that will look different, okay? <clears throat> the one on the left side is Bradley's show from the previous day. Click on that, and you can play it up until 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, at which time he'll be back live with you 
And so you can check that out. It'll be live in that little area right there. On the right side of the page is where we're streaming. All you got to do is hit the play button, blow up on whatever device you've got. And then in the bottom right hand corner, you've got a Rumble icon. You can join us on Rumble in the chat there. We are streaming live to Rumble. Sons of Liberty Radio Live is the channel. Please subscribe to that channel. Also, beforeitsnews.com, top of the page there. We're also on dlive.tv at the Sons of Liberty, a variety of little Facebook pages that bear my name, personal and also public pages that a lot of our friends jump on. And also we're on Twitter at the Real Tim Brown. Don't add the N on the end of it and put a two in its place. Again, somebody else must be the Real Tim Brown, so they got that. So the Real Tim Brown 2. You've got that on Twitter. And then finally, Twitter, the real Tim Brown. I'm the real Tim Brown on Twitter. I'm not Twitter, Twitch. Excuse me. <laughs> I put that back in. See if we can stay up. Uh, both of those kicked me off for our reporting on what was going on with the convids and the shots and all that stuff. And yeah, I'm just I'm not going to be I'm not going to be silenced. We'll find one way or another to get get the word out. So we appreciate your support in all those areas. Also, while you're at sonsoflibertymedia.com, right up under where we're streaming live is where you can sign up for our email newsletter. That goes out between 7 and 8 Eastern time uh, each night. So be sure to do that. And if you want our ministry email, if you want to know what we're doing on the internet, what we're doing on the radio, what we're doing out among the people in the 50 states, <clears throat> teaching our Christian constitutional heritage, go to sonsoflibertyradio.com, sign up for that email. It comes out once a week, usually on Saturdays. And there's some exclusive content in there about what we're doing um, throughout the week. Also, if you agree with our message, you want to keep us out there, there's a donate button at the top of the page of sonsoflibertymedia.com. Click on that and make a one-time donation. Or partner with us monthly as a son or daughter of liberty. And again, we really appreciate you guys because without you doing what you're doing, without the Lord moving upon your heart and you being um, joyful givers, as the scripture talks about, then or cheerful givers, we can't do what we do. And so we're really grateful for you guys. I know what it's like to work a job. I have no problem doing like a regular job. That's what people say. What I do is work. Don't get me wrong. I got a good work ethic, but I don't have a problem doing that. But because, but in the same manner that Paul went and made tents, when he got funding to go do ministry, that's what he gave himself to. And so we appreciate you guys when you support us to go out and do the work of the ministry. We really do appreciate you for that. Now, you guys have been asking, <clears throat> for Brent Winters to come back on. The Common Lawyer, uh, as uh, his website is, thecommonlawyer.com. And uh, we've been we've been setting up time. Brent's been busy. I've been busy. In fact, today in the pre-records, this is my third show today. So I'm beaten. I still have to load up four or five more articles. Uh, probably three of those I'm going to have to pin real quickly. Uh, but Brent has been gracious enough to come back on. I was telling him, I said, I got so many comments from the insight you gave to scripture. And several people said, Brent sounds like Paul Harvey. He sounds just like him. And uh, so we had, a, we had a little discussion going on and he was telling me some stuff. And I said, Brent, hold it for a second. Let's just bring that up first thing when we get uh, on the air here. And it's my privilege to welcome back to the Sons of Liberty, Brent Winters. How are you, man? I'm good. Thanks for inviting me and being patient with me to get back on. <laughs> no problem. No problem. Now, here's what I want you to do. Tell people this little story about Paul Harvey that I bet people never had a clue about him. He sounds like he's written out whatever he's talking about. It's just line upon line upon line. And he tells a story and he gets to the end. And he goes, now, you know, the rest of the story. Tell people what you learned about Paul Harvey. Well, 
Paul Harvey, of course, I listened to him not only growing up, but then later in life, he was on for a long time by the time his son tried to take over. But Paul would get up early in the morning and he lived in the Chicago suburbs and he'd drive downtown long before daylight, before the traffic jam began. And he'd get into the studio where he spoke and he'd go to the little printout where the AP, the Associated Press, sent in all their wires and all the news gathered from all over the world. And he would print that thing out. It came out on sheets of paper with little holes on the side. And then he would go through that with a, a yellow marker and he'd highlight the stuff he wanted to mention. And to get enough, he knew he had enough to cover the time. And then he went to his little studio room, which was a barren little room with one microphone and a table and a chair. And he sat down there all by himself early in the morning. And he'd say, hello, Americans, this is Paul Harvey. And we're here, of course, he says, for news. Remember how he used to say that? <laughs> yep. Page one. And then he'd start in. I thought all the time I was growing up and all the time later when I listened to him that he had written out everything that he said because it was sounded scripted. He never made a mistake. And I said, the only way you can do that is to know what you're going to say beforehand, write it down and be reading it and then do like an actor reading a script. Well, I found out that wasn't true. He had no script. That was off the cuff with his news items in front of him and his comments. Of course, he always said, Will Rogers said the same thing. I only know what I read in the papers. Well, that's the way Paul Harvey was. He all, all he knew was what he read in the news and he reported it and people thought it was entertaining. Mm. I mean, the reason is because uh, mankind is more entertaining than any cat or dog you'll ever have because um, not only do they have the impulses of the animal nature, so to speak, but they also have that undefinable and unpredictable impulse that comes with the depravity of the human heart. And it, it captures all of us from conception forward. And when we're little, it's entertaining. You know, Tim, you've raised children. You just write down what they say and their observations. That's funny in of itself. Absolutely. But then you watch them <laughs> and their insecurities, which we all have. And then it, it's humorous to us to watch people's insecurities as long as it's, as it's not destructive. Well, that's what he's reading about. Uh, the human nature, and you can't believe almost, truth is stranger than fiction, as Sir Isaac Newton said, I can predict to absolute certainty the movement of the stars and the sun and the moon for the infinity of a future because we've mapped it out, we know what they're going to do, but I cannot, he says, even begin to predict the behaviors that will bob forth from the flux of mankind. And the, <laughs> that's why we have, we're laughing. But on the other hand, uh, if we were all in tune with our maker, the way our maker mm. wants us to be, we would be fully predictable. Amen. Well, not, not, not machines, but predictable because we would all learn the law of God and we would then know it and be able to follow it and want to follow it right now as Christian men and women. We have been given a new desire that is a new core, a new heart, as the Bible says, and that desire is perfect. It doesn't change. That's what we want. But what we do, <laughs> we don't even do what we want to do, as Paul the Apostle says. 
but our desire is perfect, and what God has birthed within us cannot, is not able, says John in his first epistle, to sin, and not right. able to break the law of God. Right. The problem lies in our fe- flesh, and of course, Paul the Apostle uh, unpacks that in, in detail. But to know that, it gives us hope that we're not doomed. And by the way, John uses in that first epistle that famous Greek word when he says that seed that is conceived in us, which is the word of God, uh, it cannot sin. He uses the word cannot. That word translated cannot or is unable is the word dunamis that many of us have heard so much about. Dunamis with the negative. And dunamis is not just power. Dunamis is potential power, unrevealed power, uh, only at, revealed only at the, at the will of the holder of that power. You know, Alfred Nobel is attributed with the invention of dynamite. I say dynamite because that's the way they say it around home. And I was growing up, everybody had a little dynamite because they used it constantly. You didn't need a license to get it. You go to the hardware store and you'd buy it and you want to blow a stump or blow a hole in the ground or cut a railroad tie in two. You drill a hole in it, stick a quarter stick of dynamite in there and blast it. But dynamite, that word dynamite, Alfred Noble, the one that's attributed with the invention of it, Alfred Noble, uh, took that word from the Greek New Testament because, this is important, because that Greek word does not just mean power. It means latent, not patent, latent power. What does that mean? At the control of the holder, the wielder of the power. Because mm. what, what Alfred Noble wanted to advertise his, his discovery, which, yeah, it was the dynamite was his discovery. Nitroglycerin was not his discovery, but he uses it in dynamite. Dynamite is, a, is clay, a certain kind of clay that was in Sweden where he lived, soaked with nitroglycerin. Well, if it's just nitroglycerin, it's not under a lot of control, and it could blow up at any time. And that's why he was looking for some other way to deal with it. And when he found that other way to deal with it, he found that it is under the absolute control of the blaster, only revealed at his will. And by the way, the power of God, the dunamis that you hear about is only revealed among men at his will, not at yours. Amen. That's exactly you right. You don't. Yeah. Go ahead, Tim. I'll let you. No, that's, <laughs> that's exactly right. We're going to get off on a whole, on a whole different thing than what we're talking about here. You're exactly right. Because over and over, what does Jesus tell us? All that the father gives to me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. We're told we love him because he first loved us. All the all the initiation, not just the initiation, but the work of regeneration, the new birth, all of this is the work of God. It's not the work of man. In fact, the same John that wrote the, the epistle in John 1 says it's not of the will of the flesh nor of blood or any of that, but it is the will of God. It is the will of God working in the heart of the sinner for those whom Christ died to re- regenerate them, to make them anew, to give them life, as Ephesians 2 says, to quicken them because God is showing mercy. And again, we go back to Romans 9. He shows mercy to whom? Everybody? Nope. To whom he will have mercy, he shows mercy, right? Uh, he didn't show mercy to Pharaoh, but he did show it to Moses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, he didn't oh. show it to, to Ishmael, but he did show it to Isaac. He didn't show it to Esau, but he did show it to Jacob. And we can name numerous people 
And I think this is the thing. It is to, when we give that kind of message, some people go, well, I would never, t I had a guy tell me I should get out of the ministry because I believe such things. And I go, wait a minute, this is, there's great confidence in that because I know my message is true. And I give my message, not so much to the dead people, the dead sinners, as it, as it is, as I do to God. The gospel is to glorify God. He loves, I love what John MacArthur said when he was quoting out of Second uh, Corinthians. He said, you know, so some were a fragrance of death to death and others life to life. And he says, yes. God loves to smell the gospel. I thought that was just a beautiful way to put it. And of no, course, there's you. some ties back there to Romans when they would come in, they burnt incense when they had a victory and this, that and the other. But in any case, we're not here to talk about that specifically, but I'm glad we got the gospel in here anyway, uh, that Christ died for sinners. And you know what? You don't know whether you're one that he died for, but he calls you to repent. And if you're repentant, if you're desiring mercy, guess what? You'll have it. If you really desire it, like what, what, uh, what Brent was saying there, desiring it from the heart, there's no doubt about it. But here's the thing, Brent, we're going to talk today. Uh, we are going to stay, we're going to be in the scriptures, but we're going to be talking about something that I usually have the guys from Tactical Civics come on and talk about, uh, David Zuniga and, and some of his guys. We're going to be talking about grand jury and we're going to be talking about the militia. And this has been an issue for me probably the last couple of years. And I've really began to push that out on uh, on the show here because this is everybody that's complaining about all the bad characters, the bad actors, the politicians, the corrupt corporate fascists and everything else. And they go, why won't these guys do anything? They want to throw up their hands. The solution is the people. It's us. We're the solution. And We've got to get out of the mindset that D.C. is going to fix it, that the state's going to fix it, or even the county's going to fix it. It's going to be the people to fix it, and there are tools to do that. So let's let's. I'm going to throw it back in your court. Let, which one do you want to start with? I think probably the grand jury is probably the first thing we need to start with and then move to the militia because one is sort of the judicial arm. The other is the law enforcement arm of that. So I'm going to toss over to you. What do you think, grand jury? Well, I'm going to come at them at the same time, then we can okay. break them down. Yeah, that's good. The big picture, if that's all right. When the Constitution of the United States says in the preamble, we the people of the United States, it's not talking about everybody. Again, who is, who is the people? The people, let me say up front, and then I'll break it down. The people is the militia. And you find that statement over and over and over in the writings of those that drafted the document and those that ratified the document called the Constitution. And when they say that, they're repeating the common law standard. The word the people is a synonym for the militia. The militia is the Latin word. Militia is a Latin word that has now come into vogue and it's in our Constitution, but also the word people. And that phrase, the people, arises from our Puritan forebears, who, who, of course, made the Bible the center of their lives. As Winston Churchill observed, um, there's never been a more biblical race of men among men than the Puritans of the 17th century. Never. And that includes ancient Israel. If Ancient Israel was one of the most unbiblical races of men that ever lived, and the Old Testament is a record of their unfaithfulness to God's Word. That's why he gave it to us, to show us what happened to people like that. And we are to be warned, as the New Testament says. So the Puritans were biblical, but the Puritans looked in the Bible in the Old Testament, and they saw that phrase that 
Our English translations still translate the people. Ha'am, in the Hebrew text, am, uh, translated people, ha, is the definite article of the Semitic tongue, ha'am, the people. But in every case where that phrase occurs, that anarthrous phrase occurs in the Older Testament, it refers, signifies a band of armed men. And most often, that phrase, ta'am, translated the people, signifies the militia of the 12 several tribes of Israel. Sometimes it's used to speak about, of course, all the militias of all mankind or the militia of Assyria, but most often the people. So when it says, we the people, it's talking about the militia. Who is the militia? The militia is the able-bodied, in that context, the men, the males. The males, as distinct from the females, are not the militia. All of the new laws here in America, notwithstanding, some of the constitutions of the state have even changed that to say that all the girls, all the females of the species are part of the militia. They aren't in the Bible, clearly. They never have been at common law until a few recent decades. And it's, it's silly, historically silly, to say. Absurd is the Latin word for silly. Absurd sounds less harsh. Absurd to say that when the drafters and the ratifiers of the Constitution included women in their contemplation, their original tent, it did not. They didn't have in their original intent, let's be honest about history, any thought in their wildest imagination that any woman would serve on a jury, vote, or much less serve in the militia, carry a weapon, and be ordered to kill other people. And that's not part of their thinking, and rightly so. That's not part of the Bible's presentation of the roles of men and women either. I'm being honest with history. You say, Brent, I don't I agree. agree with you. That's nope, okay. I totally agree. Well, if, if you're listening and you don't, it's a fact of history. Uh, you can go back and argue with the Bible, argue with God. I know Tim and I have talked about this, but I'm just speaking to people in general. I'm not speaking to you directly, Tim, but that's what's contemplated. Well, the militia, the people in our common law tradition, and that's the tradition we have in our Christian understanding of reality, our biblical understanding of reality. The militia, the people, in old Anglo-Saxon called the Volk, Reicht, the Volk, and also called the Ferd Fair, the Volk are the folk, F-O-L-K, that was their old word for the people, then became militia. And the Ferd Fair, we still use the word fair, but we don't use the word fur. If we say welfare, that's in our preamble too, welfare, that means good going, good going, good going. The Ferd Fair is the, a militia a-going, the militia a-going. We would uh, mobilize, we would say today, mustered and, and in the saddle, in the harness, and they're doing their work. Well, it, those things have come to us from our common law tradition, which is consonant with the Bible. People rave, of course, and I do too, about the authority of the Constitution of the United States. But the Constitution of the United States is a brief of our common law government. If you could picture with me, I think I may have mentioned this last time we were on, Tim, picture with me a giant tree that is rooted deep in the ground and has three branches. Um, 
the ground would be our common law, the law of the land, Article 6 of our Constitution. That's another name for our common law. The ground is the law of the land. It is land law. Rooted in it is this tree. The trunk of the tree represents the Constitution of the United States. And then the three branches coming out of the tree are the three branches of our general government in Washington, D.C. Those three branches do not depend upon each other for their sustenance. What do they depend upon for their authority, their substance, and their sustenance? The Constitution of the United States. They do not rely upon each other. They do not submit to each other. They are not, the law does not require them to, just like the branches of a tree. The branches of the tree depend entirely upon the trunk. And the branches, three separate branches of our government, depend upon their authority entirely upon the Constitution. The authority of the Supreme Court of the United States arises out of the Constitution. The authority of the president, the executive branch, arises out of the Constitution. And the authority of the legislative branch, the Congress of the United States, arises out of the Constitution. They do not depend upon each other. In fact, those three branches, just like the branches of that tree, compete and reach for sunlight and try to compete with each other as they go up and depend for their their support, of course, upon the sap of the trunk, which is the Constitution, rooted deep in our common law tradition. The authority behind our common law tradition, as respects our general government in Washington, D.C., our expression of the people, the militia, the third, the volk, or the folk, their authority does not come from the Constitution. No, their authority comes from the law of the land into which they have set this tree called the Constitution. We, the people, the militia of the United States, ordain this Constitution. They're the ones that ratified it and make it happen by their authority. Tim, did you want to make a comment? I don't. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's exactly right. The, the problem that we have, though, now, Brent, is they're not deriving their authority from the Constitution. They're going extra constitutional. They're usurping authority never been given to them. And I think this is partly why we're in trouble. I, I say partly because the other side of that is the people have become ignorant about who they are, just like what you just said. And if they don't know, hey, the Constitution doesn't enforce itself, uh, they think, well, the FBI is going to enforce it. Well, the NSA is going to enforce it. Yeah, they're they're engaged in the same tyranny. The people have to get back to understanding who we are as as people. Uh, the militia, as you as you said, that the men are going to have to understand that, and then they're going to have to they're going to have to go deal with the cleaning up process of the ignorance that we've had for I don't know how many decades, at least sixteen or seventeen decades uh, in this country. We've got to relearn that and start applying it so that we can teach our children those things. The militia, the people, are the government, according to our constitution. And the a government, any government, the Bible makes this clear too, consists of two functions, fundamentally. And anything beyond that is, and I'll, I, I don't say it's usurpation. I know exactly what you mean when you say that, Tim, usurpation of authority. When I stop to consider, I say, no, authority can't be usurped. Power can, but not authority. And I distinguish the two for that okay. purpose. And you see my point. Yes, you and I, I do. discussed that. But the militia is the government. And if the militia, the people, the folk, 
don't know there are two duties, and there are only two, <laughs> only two, that our government, and if the militia takes those two duties, then all the foolishness and the evil and the usurpation of power and the stepping outside of authority will be largely done away with. Now, what are those two duties, and how do we know what they are? Well, number one, duty only arises out of law. There is no duty where there is no law. Of course, there is law. God has given us law. Well, what is the law out of which our duty arises and members of the militia? And those two duties, by the way, I better reference those right now. I don't want to hide the ball. What are those two duties? Number one, and it's in our oath that all public officials take and all military men take, and right down to the private deuce and the seaman deuce, take the same oath to support and defend the Constitution of the United States against enemies foreign and domestic. That's an ancient oath of our common law going back centuries and thousands, 1,500 years at least, if not more, against enemies foreign and domestic. Well, enemies foreign, that's the first duty of the militia, willingness to take up arms against a foreign enemy. Uh, enemies domestic, what is that? That's willingness to serve on the jury. Defense and jury duty are the two duties of the militia. And these two duties are not to be relegated to anybody else, as we have done, or allowed anybody else to insert, usurp them. Do, do you notice the left just hates the idea of the militia and calls people crazy that say that's what we ought to revive? The militia's here. You can't join the militia. The militia is who you are. You're born right. male, yep. and you're able-bodied to bear a weapon in battle. Well, you're militia. You're born male. And you can serve on the jury in defense of what? In defense of the law of the land. You can bear arms in defense of what? In defense of the land. And if you defend the land, friends, neighbors, and kin, you're defending the law of the land. And if you defend the law of the land on the jury, you're defending the land. You cannot separate the land that the Lord your God has given you from the law that he has bestowed upon the land. There are only two traditions of religion, law, and government in the world government. One is the law of the land, and the other is the law of the city. That's all there is, friends. There isn't anything else. Oh, there's all sorts of labels, thousands of labels of different kinds of government. I went to a very well-known, several times I've been there, a very well-known summer camp kind of a thing for children and grown-ups, and they teach the seven kinds of government. Uh, as much as I like those guys, that's nuts. There isn't seven kinds of government. There's only two. The Bible lays that out clear as crystal. Either you're right or you're wrong. That's right. Either you're in or you're out, you're up or down, you're yep. a saint. <laughs> well, maybe you're chafing at the bit. I better let you say something. You might explode. Huh? No, no, no. You, you're, look, you're, you're right on it. You're, you're, I've, I've been saying this for, for a while. That is, that is, you're either the kingdom of light or the kingdom of darkness. You're in the there kingdom of God again. or good. Yeah. Good point. Any of that. And, and I think for people to, to grasp a little bit, if they didn't see our first interview, you talked a little bit about this law of the land, law of the city, when you were referencing what was going on in Babylon. And I've always looked at the city like this thing. I don't really want to go in the city, to be honest with you. If I got to get something, I want to go there and get it. And then I want to come back home. I want to be out where I'm at. <laughs> That's what I do. Too. Yeah. Get so, out of town. <laughs> but but the thing about being armed, you know, you, you were saying our forefathers <clears throat> spoke about some of this. I want to read a couple of quotes because I pulled these out from some of them about the people being armed. This one was from James Madison, Federalist 46. He said, the advantage of being armed, which the American possesses 
over the people of all other countries, notwithstanding the military establishments in the several kingdoms of Europe, which are carried as far as the public resources will bear, the governments are afraid to trust the people with arms. Why? Because they're wicked governments. That's what. That's why. Noah Webster and our founding fathers were against standing armies, but they were for the militia. He wrote, before a standing army can rule, the people must be disarmed, as they are in almost every kingdom in Europe. The supreme power in America cannot enforce unjust laws by the sword because the whole body of the people are armed and constitute a force superior to any band of regular troops that can be on any pretense raised in the United States. And then if I can add one more here, the uh, the British politician and reformer James Berg, whose work was very popular in the colonies and he had an influence on Thomas Jefferson, wrote in his book, uh, Political Dis Disquis Disquisitions, mm -hmm. 1774. He said, those who have the command of the arms in the country, says Aristotle, are masters of the state and have it in their power to make what revolutions they please. There is no end to observations on the difference between the measures likely to be pursued by a minister backed by a standing army and those of a court awed by the fear of an armed people no kingdom shall be or can be secured otherwise than by arming the people. The possession of arms is the distinction between a free man and a slave. Amen, James Berg. That's a good comment. And there are other ones that I could read here that I, I pulled out that, that show our forefathers thought completely different than the guys who are sitting up in D.C. right now. Uh, which and, and we're trying to trust them with the sole power of impeachment and all this other stuff. And they're not doing it. And I, I got to tell you. Um, I, I, we need to have this, this civic duty taught to us, the, the grand jury and the militia, but I, I don't know any other way to see it, Brent, that DC has become the, you know, the foundations have even become corrupted up there. It needs to be dissolved as Jefferson said, and the people institute new government to secure their liberties. But we've got to, we've got to uh, crawl before we walk. So we have to learn the foundations of what these things are that, the, that are our responsibilities to do before God and man. Oh, no, I won't disagree with you. I've often thought we ought to reestablish the Capitol in Kansas City or someplace or out in the middle of Nebraska because there's no way. The only place to get rid of the problems in Washington, D.C., if you try to do anything else, you need to <clears throat> eliminate, the, eliminate the place almost and just move things out and say it's all done. Yes. So you make a good point about, uh, but just in support of what I said about the people. Now, this is Richard Henry Lee. This is from my book on the militia, by the way, which people can obtain at commonlawyer.com. The militia is, in fact, the people themselves. George Mason, but George Mason also, he said, I ask, sir, what is the militia? It is the whole people. That is the militia. That's why I said what I said a while ago. Uh, James Madison said the same thing, and you quoted... <laughs> Quoted others, oh, no free man shall ever be, dis be disbarred of the use of arms, Tom Jefferson, and on and on. There's so, mu there's so much of that, and you did a good job of laying some of that out, that it becomes cumulative and to, to compile it all. The Bible says we need two testimonies of intent of what the Constitution says, but we can pile up a lot more from many other, many other directions, but we, to get two points across. The government of the United States, not only of the United States, the general government in Washington, D.C., 
but also of each of the state governments or common law governments too, with the exception of Louisiana, which is a law of the city government because of the Roman church French influence in that state. The people that settled Louisiana are the same people that settled Quebec. They're French. They like dictatorship in their heart of hearts. They, they, they follow the Pope, the emperor of the Roman church. And so they stick to that point of view when it comes to government. As uh, Fratcher said, show me the dominant form of government of the religious institutions of a people, and I will show you the government of that people. Hmm. And our, our common law government in America is the result of, of uh, thousands, a few thousand years of hard-fought, hard-fought bloodshed and, 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 and wealth being poured into the fight. And it's never going to end until the Messiah returns, but we've been given the job of doing that. Are those two volumes, we've got the militia has two duties at common law and in the Bible, and the two fundamental laws we have as Americans, this is the law of the militia, are the laws of nature unwritten in the nature of God's creation. We call that our common law and the laws of nature's God written in the Bible. And to further and further and further understand those two volumes and their relationship and how they undergird one another. The one does not arise out of the other. Both are from the same source, and so they're consonant with one another. In cases of apparent disagreement or misunderstanding, the law written, which is called the Bible, Lex Scripta, governs in cases of misunderstanding. But there's a difference between those two laws. Those are our two fundamental laws. The difference between those two laws is one is written, the other is written. Another difference is our law of the land, our common law, <clears throat> stresses our adherence to how we do things. And the written law of God, the Bible, stresses the substance of the law, what we are to do and not to do. In the end result, we are not to covet like, steal, commit adultery, or murder our neighbor. That's the last five of the Ten Commandments in reverse order. But that's the outcome standards that God has given us. But mankind, us, the people, we don't have authority to dictate what the outcome standards are. God has given us that. We know what that is. That's right. He has delegated authority to us to make sure the process is fair when people disagree about what those outcome standards, how they ought to play out in individual instances. That is our common law. To know these two volumes, the law unwritten, our observations and discernment, which God has given us about how to be fair, how to have fair play. And then the Bible is the duty of the militia. How can you be really an effective juror according to the standards of God unless you know the fundamentals of those two volumes? And that's not something you can ever quit learning about. You never, Tim, I've discovered this, I never get beyond the fundamentals. I just keep learning more and more and more about the fundamentals. Do not lie, steal, commit adultery, or murder your neighbor. Right. So those are our duties as militia, militia as members of the, of the militia, of the several states of the United States, God has given us a land. We have two duties. And to learn, for instance, what is the duty of a jury? What is the duty of a militia? The Bible lays a lot of that out. 
And that militia book I was mentioning a while ago, I have a long sections in there about the book of Numbers, which is a martial law book, the book, God's revelation of his kind, his, his martial law for the militia, not to mention the priesthood in that day of uh, the Levites, which the principles are applicable here in our own day in many ways. <clears throat> but we're looking for those first principles, Tim, Hebrews chapter 5, where it says about milk and meat. The distinction there isn't that now we can get into the details. That's, that's false religion. The distinction there is, do you know how to apply the first principles? And yeah, can you, take your, can you take your knowledge and be wise with it? It's one yeah. thing to know. It's another thing to apply. In individual instances that uh, you've never seen before, how do you apply, do not covet, lie, steal, commit adultery, or murder your neighbor? That's why we have court cases. That's why people disagree about how it is to be applied. That's why the judicial branch is called the interpreters. What that really means is, how do we apply it in a specific instance that we've never seen before. And so we do that. And the jury's job, the militiaman's job, is to do that. He's not to determine what the outcome is, what the, the standard for the outcome is. God's already given us that. Do not murder. We know what that is, for example. That's one. But the question is, how do you apply that in this individual instance? Let's say, for example, and this is a, a well-known hypothetical in law school, a man uh, has a wife who is stung by a honeybee. And she has that condition that doesn't allow the histamines in her body. And this is the way I understand it. Maybe I'm not saying it right. So don't get caught up on me not understanding medicine. But for whatever reason, I had a cousin like this. If she got stung by a bee or a wasp, as they say here at home, her throat would swell up and she couldn't breathe and she would suffocate. So she carried with her, here's what it was, yeah, it was an antihistamine. And she would give herself a shot, and that would prevent her from dying. Well, let's say that somebody has his wife, for example, gets stung by a honeybee or a wasp, and he knows she's going to die, and he knows that his neighbor is the, has the same condition, and his neighbor one time showed him where in his house that was. He runs to the neighbor's house and bangs on the door. Nobody answers. So what does he do? What would any sensible man do? He kicks the door in. It's at nighttime, by the way. At nighttime, he kicks the door in. He goes into the medicine cabinet where he saw his neighbor put his hypodermic needle with that antihistamine. And he takes it and runs back to his house, and he gives his wife the necessary injection and saves her life. Now, does that fit the definition of burglary? What's the definition of burglary at common law? Well, it's the breaking and entering of the dwelling house of another at nighttime with intent to commit larceny or felony therein. Well, did he break and enter? Yeah, he kicked the blasted door in. Yeah. Was it at nighttime? Yeah, it was nighttime. <laughs> did he do it with intent to commit larceny or no. felony therein? No. Yeah, you're with me. Well, then he's not guilty, although his neighbor might not have understood that. The, a prosecutor may have said, I'm going to prosecute you for burglary for doing that. And some people because might he say that he, he has to restore what he damaged there. We, we might say that, but we wouldn't say the, we wouldn't hold him uh, 
guilty of being a burglar. That's right. And so the jury needs to understand some of those fundamentals. Here's another one. Another one. Man, uh, a house on fire next to him. He kicks the door in. He runs inside. He hears a baby scream, and he grabs the baby and runs out the back door. If it's at nighttime, is he guilty of burglary? No, he isn't, as long as we got the facts. Is he guilty of kidnapping? Well, somebody might accuse him of that, see? A nabbing, nabbing, kidnapping means nabbing a kid. That's what it means. Kind of a raw word. Yes. That's what it means. Well, he nabbed that kid. My grandma used to say, now, Brent, don't be calling, calling children kids. Goats are kids, but we do that a lot these days. Well, he grabs the kid and then runs out the back door. Here's another one. Again, learning. Uh, just th These are obvious examples, but there's a lot of... I saw a statute once, Tim. This true story. It was a state statute. And it said that the no one... He says anyone that discharges a firearm on a public right-of-way shall be guilty of a felony except to kill a noxious animal or a police officer in execution of his duties. So it sounds like when you read that, well, matter of fact, it doesn't sound like what it says. It says that it's, it's, it's unlawful to discharge a firearm on a public right-of-way, except you can shoot, if you want to, a police officer while he's trying to execute his duty. Well, you go into court, that statute's put in front of you, you're a member of the jury, you look at that statute, and you know that the result is absurd if you follow what it says. So what do you do? Well, you do the sensible thing. I heard of a man one time, he went to his neighbor and he said, you ain't going to believe this. He said, what? He said, I just saw your wife in the arms of another man. He said, who was it? He told him his name. It was a small town. Well, what does he do? He goes after it. In the heat of passion, obviously, as any, any healthy man would be at that point. Fortunately, he didn't hurt anybody because the other fellow said, wait a minute. Your wife was hit by an automobile crossing the street. I went out in the middle of the pavement. She was knocked unconscious. I picked her up in my arms, carried her to the pavement, and laid her down on the sidewalk and waited for the ambulance to arrive. Well, again, what somebody says may be true and what the statute says may be true, and everything about it may fit the crime, but it's the juryman's job to decide the facts of the case and the intent of the people involved and it does take, it does take familiarizing yourself with the laws of nature, unwritten in the nature of things, the process. Is it fair? Is this a fair fight? And the laws of nature's God, which includes not only the process, but the outcome standards as well. That's what we're, that's our duty as members of the militia. Is it worthwhile for the female, the species to know those things? Well, of course it is. Why? Because she is the advisor to her husband. And not only that, if she doesn't have a husband or a father, she's in a special position to do a lot of things. That's another subject. She's under the special protection of God, and she's under a special protection. We're ordered to look out for her. 
All of these things are in the laws of nature, and the laws of nature is God. And they, the, two, the two volumes undergird one another. And our duties as militiamen, do we know how to handle a military-grade weapon? Are we safe? Are we effective? Do we know how to handle the common law? Can we look up the court cases? Do we know what they mean? Not do we have the details, no. But do we understand the fundamentals? Vince Lombardi. Vince Lombardi was the coach when I was growing up, the football coach of the Green Bay Packers. Now, Green Bay is not that big a town, but the Green Bay Packers won three world championships while he was their coach. He became famous himself. I don't know if he was ever a good football player, but somebody asked him, said, how do you do that? A lot of people ask him that. How do you take a team like that and make three world championships out of them? He said, well, he said, when we have a practice that comes in the spring and all the rookies are there and all the veterans, I have them all set down on the field and I take a football and I hold it up and I say, gentlemen, this here is a football. I want you all to understand that. And then I want to give you a half a dozen other fundamentals. And I want you to understand we're not going to get beyond these fundamentals. And if you perfect these fundamentals and make that the ambition of your life to just get better and better and better at these fundamentals, we will be champions. I have heard it said also from people that have given a lot of their time to martial arts and even boxing or wrestling. There's only a, a certain number of moves you need to learn to make, but you don't just need to learn to make the moves. You need to perfect those moves, those fundamental moves and just get better and better and better at them by repetition. And once you do that, the details are not something else. The details just come more in support of and protecting the fundamentals. So go to the Bible, friends. If you ain't reading it every day, you're part of the problem. I mean, <laughs> read right. it and contemplate it. That's right. And, yeah. And, well, I'll take a breather and anything you want to add to him. You know, I don't want to. No, I, I'm, 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 I, I, I completely agree. I see the point. You stay on the fundamentals. You get really good at those and you don't have to worry about uh, whether or not you're going to do the, what's the guy, Jimmy, the snooker, Jimmy, the fly snooker or whatever, dive off the, off the turnbuckle or whatever. You don't have to worry about that because you've got the basic moves down. And if you're really good at that and you've, you worked harder than the other guy, you're more than likely going to beat the guy. And, and what you're doing. So I, I get the point that you're making. So the people have to learn the law. They've got to have uh, Bradley. Bradley makes this comment all, all the time. And he talks about the people are the law. And what he means by that is exactly what you're saying. They have to have the common sense of natural law or what we perceive in, in the creation in nature and what they have to know what God has said specifically about what is a crime? What is the violation? And, and, I've had people tell me crimes are not sins and sins are not crimes. And I'm not so sure about that. Maybe you can clear, clear me up on that. But the Bible talks about, uh, John says that if you have sinned, sin is transgression of the law, which makes it a crime. I, that's the way I understand it. I don't know if you would say there's a, a real distinction in there, but if nobody else, it's a crime against God himself. 
There are some well-known Bible teachers in the Presbyterian camp, fundamentalists, that make that distinction. And I, when they make it, they have to explain themselves a lot, and I see what they're saying. But we could say this, that there are all, let's say this in general, and this is true among all men and all, all the different shades of the law of the land and the law of the city, and that's the only two possibilities there are. All crimes, all crimes are against the sovereign. That is an axiomatic reality among mankind. God has wired us that way. That's why in the Roman church, for instance, if you break the canon law, the Bible is not their law. They don't care about the Bible. They give it lip service and act like they do. But, of course, the Pope is the law in the Roman church. And if you break his law, you are sinning against him. Remember, that's in the pagan context, you see. They're pagans. So their crimes are against some man. Let's go to the Bible and our common law. Who, are, who, are our, who is our crimes against? What does David say? David's coveted, lied, steal, stole. <laughs> coveted, lied, stole, committed adultery, and murdered Uriah. He stole his wife. He coveted his wife. He lied. He did all those things to one man. What did he say in his confession, Psalm 51? Against you and you only have I sinned. Now, that's, that's right. A good point. And so uh, let's understand that. When, when you're, you're breaking of God's law, any of his law is a crime against him. Our grandpa, Adam, he ate of the fruit. Doesn't sound like a capital crime. God says anything is contrary to my nature. Any deed or act is a crime. And all crimes are against me. In the law of the city countries, what are, who, are, who is the crime against? It's against the emperor. It's against the king. It's personal, you see. you got to add that and understand if it's against somebody, it's a personal matter. When you sin against God, when you break his law, that's what sin is. That's an old Anglo word. Good, good word, only three letters, but we don't stop to define it very often. But when you do that, that's a personal affront. And if you've sinned, if you've broken his law at one point, says Paul the Apostle, you are guilty of all and worthy of death. That's exactly right. Hang on for us, Brant. We're going to carry you over just a little bit. The discussion is really good, and we're going to jump into some of this stuff with how we bring this to bear, how we, how we, what our duty is and how we're to bring it about. So join us on sonsoflibertymedia.com. You can catch us on beforeitsnews.com or any of the other outlets that we talked about at the first of the show. Catch Bradley at 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, sonsoflibertymedia.com, and we'll see you back in the morning, 6 a.m., Lord willing. Talk to you then. Okay, want to welcome everybody coming over from Red State Talk Radio. Now, Brent, you've you've um you, you've kind of you, you've given us a big picture, which is great because I think for some people, a lot of this is the big picture is what they need. They need to see. Well, you're telling me this, and for some people in their minds, I can already see it. They're going, well, wait a minute. You're saying you're you're talking like you're going to overthrow the government because they've got the wrong idea of what government of who the government is. First of all, and second of all, they think, well, this sounds like you're being a revolutionary. You're 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 just going to upend everything. And of course, we go back to scripture when the disciples went out. What did it say they did? They turned the world upside down. Right. Uh, But but I can see people thinking like that. And yet I think there are some people, probably some light bulbs are going on and going, oh, yeah, now that makes some sense. I see what's going on. We've been going the we've been 
for decades, it seems we've been living the law of the city rather than the law of the land. Uh, maybe I'm wrong about that, but that seems like the, how, the trail we've been uh, taking down. Oh, no question. The law of the city, fundamental to it, as we've said in our common law country for a long time, we are a government. Our common law is a government of law and not of men. And the Bible makes that point about will worship, will worship. There's a Greek word in the New Testament that means the worship of the will of men. Well, we worship, yes. What does that mean? Worthyship, an old Anglo word, worship, is worthyship. We esteem worth to the will of God. What is the will of God? Well, it's the will of the, our sovereign. What is the will of sovereign? Again, a universal among all men, whoever you take to be your sovereign, his will is law. Thy very wish, said Damon to the Pope of Rome, thy very wish, though evil, is my command. Doesn't make any difference what you say, I'm going to do it. That's the cry of the Arabic world and Islam, of the Sultan. Sultan, by the way, is an Arabic word that means untouchable. His will is law. Well, whose will is law for the Christian man if he's a Christian man? Uh, the will of God and no other. That's right. The will of Jesus Christ and no other who is God. Yeah. And so when we talk about what is law, it's good to understand that. And the fundamentals, we'll never get past them. Matter of fact, I'm a lawyer. I go into court. I never get past the fundamentals. And if I ever do, I'll lose the jury and I'll lose the judge. Because lawyers, if they've been at it very long, are sick, sick, sick to death that they're right-headed men. They're sick of details, sick of administrative rules that don't mean anything. They want to cut straight to the bottom. I had a guy come to me one time and said, the bank stole $9 million from me. Well, I found out it was true by sophisticated means. I said, I can't help you. Why? He said, well, you got to help me. I said, I can't. He said, why not? I said, I don't know anything about all the minutiae of banking regulations and banking law. And I don't know. I'm not going to help you. I just went on for months. He went out to big cities and tried to find somebody to go up against the bank. It was a little bank. Well, it was a statewide bank, but they had millions of dollars. Finally, he kept prevailing upon me, and I said, okay. I was told in law school you can't win against a bank. I've tried it before up against Bank of America. I was right. The judge said I was right, and then he said, I'm going to rule against you anyway. So I thought maybe I can get some bank executives on the witness stand for six, eight hours and just beat them up and learn a lot on cross-examination. I did, by the way. It was very enjoyable when it was all over, and I learned a lot <laughs> about how evil it all is. Yeah. But when he finally prevailed on me, I was sitting at home one night, and I said, you know, they stole a lot of money from this fellow. What do I need to know about regulation? He who takes what isn't hisn shall pay the price or go to prison. Go to prison. I learned that when I was a kid. Thou shalt not steal. I learned that in Sunday school. Was there something else I need to know? They stole his money. All I got to prove is that they stole his money. Do I need to even worry about all these regulations? The answer is no, no, a thousand times no. Supreme Court Justice Jackson said the problem with lawyers in America, this was after World War II when he said this, the problem with lawyers in America is they, they're getting so they don't practice law by first principles, the fundamentals. What did Justice Scalia said? He said, the judges on the bench these days have been swilling at the public trough for so long that when it comes to a case, who are they going to favor? Their former client, the government, or 
are they going to favor the private sector man? Well, he says they're going to favor the government. That's what they're used to. And they're going to forget the fundamentals and get sucked into the regulations and try to beat the man that's got the fundamentals on his side. Listen, if you argue the fundamentals to the judge and the jury in the final analysis, that's, that's what they'll like. That's what I like. And the law is made to be that way. God didn't make it to be obscure. And by the way, one other misconception of many patriotic, patriot movement misconceptions is that when a man or woman is born from above, God writes the law on their heart. That is not what the Bible says. And I know theologians who have written books on that subject, and it's simply not true. And not only is it it's absurd to think it's true when you think about what happens, it's absurd as a matter of what the Bible says, Revelation, or, uh, Romans chapter 2, verse, verse 14 and 15. Yeah, and well, Jeremiah on, says he writes it on the hearts of the people who, are his, who he makes covenant with. Yes, but yes, I'm glad you said that. And that's why it's... And, and I know men that know a lot more than me about theology, but I still say they've got this one wrong. And I still say that's misunderstood. And what it comes down to is this, for many reasons, and not to go into all of the arguments against why that's not true. But when you go to Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, it's, cl it's clearly, when I go to look at it, it's clearly not what it's saying, even though at first glance it looks that way. But not only that. You're not going to tell me that a man who's been a hardcore Christian, not you, Tim, but I'm just saying people who say that. I know a man that wrote a book like that. It was called Why, uh, What We Cannot Not Know. What We Cannot Not Know. And he was saying, no, we know. And the answer is, no, we don't, unless we learn it. Why is it? Would God say to us, go to the Bible and learn my will to Christian men and women? Your eyes are open now. Now you can learn my will and do it. You could not learn it before. He wants us to go to the Bible. He wants us, to, the law written, to learn it. He wants us to contemplate reality and learn it. It is the desire to learn it, the responsibility and the duty to learn it and to know it that is written on our hearts. I'll give you the end of my conclusion about that. But Romans 2, 14 and 15, you mentioned that passage in Jeremiah. Now, what I need to do, I'm glad you did, and I appreciate it. I need to go back and unpack that in a more clear way, because it does look like it says that. I don't believe that's what he's talking about at all there. I know that all of the covenant theologians say that. I say that can't be true. I start when I see something like that, and I say, I know that's not true. I know there are some ignorant Christians out there that are really messing things up because they think the law of God's written on their heart. And by the way, if you really believe the law of God, which the Bible has written down, is written on your heart, why would you have to? study the Bible. Why would you have sure. to read it? Why would you want to listen to it taught? Well, I'll leave that maybe for another discussion, because you brought up a good point about what Jeremiah said. We need to unpack that. Um, but getting to my point, just as a matter of our common sensibilities, as Wycliffe put it, we must interact with the Bible in order to know what it says and what God demands of us. And um, if we, don't, if we rely only on those verses, then we have misunderstood those verses. That's why we encourage people, of course, to abide in the vine. John 10, how do you abide in the vine? Jesus Christ tells us. My you words abide, abide in, in you. Yes. 
you keep on hanging on and that sap keeps coming on through and you bear much fruit. But I think I've deviated, Tim, from the direction you were taking us and so far <laughs> that I can't even remember what direction you were. Well, oh, the, that's okay, because I think, I think what you're saying there is, is foundational to the two things that we're talking about. Our, our, our duty as in a, in a grand jury, our duty as a militia, uh, a militiaman. And yeah. in, it is, you know, because this is, I, I've got uh, young men uh, here and uh, my son-in-law is one of them. He goes, when can we just get to shooting and take and, and start dealing with this stuff? It, that's how angry he is at what's going on. He said, I don't want to, he says, I want to be part of the solution here of dealing with these criminals who've been just oppressing us. Uh, I don't want my son to grow up and I've not done anything. I get what he's saying. But the, but part of the problem is you've got to get that foundation of, okay, do you understand the fundamentals, the things that we're talking about here? Do you got the right mindset of how you would do that? Do you understand due process? Do you understand how you're, you know, I was, I had pulled this up uh, prior to coming on as well. And you, you hit on it. This is out of Deuteronomy chapter 19. One witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or for any sin and any sin that he sinneth at the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses shall the matter be established. And you say, oh, well, that's Old Testament. Well, Jesus reiterates that in Matthew 18 when he says how you deal with your brother. You, you do the same thing. You have a process that you go through. You're not out to, to humiliate your brother. You're out to win your brother. And you, so you do it that way. So he, he lays those things out. There has to be a way where militia are not just the guys going pew, pew, America. They're the guys that have to go collect the evidence. They're the guys that have to go take the statements. Um, you know, and we've shirked that responsibility to the boys in blue. And the boys in blue have become a fraternity unto themselves. In many cases, they have. And uh, and so we wonder why this injustice, why do we not get justice and all these kinds of things? It's because we have done just like our father, Adam, instead of being diligent uh, about doing the thing that God said and not doing the thing he said not to do. We have went the op. We've done just like him. We, we've kind of thrown that off and said, well, we're going to do whatever we're going to do. Oh, yeah, we'll chalk up a little thing says I'm a good boy because I didn't do X, Y or Z. But then, just like you said, we broke this law over here, so we become a lawbreaker of all. Tim, you make oh, this brings up a whole lot of things. Yeah, you can't be a militiaman unless you know your duty. You know, there was a there was a scene out of an old movie. I love use movies when I teach my classes because there's so much in the movies about the law that are applicable. And one of the scenes was out of that old movie about William Wallace, which was fundamentally wrong, uh, the movie in many ways, but uh, as to the true identity yes. of William Wallace yep. and his, his sidekick, Archie. But there was a point in the movie where William Wallace came back, Mel Gibson, and it was his uncle or somebody, some old man had his, his claymore, his Scottish broadsword, and he said, I'll teach you how to use this. And he holds up the sword and then he pokes him on the forehead. He says, after I teach you how to use this. Yeah. That was the guy who took him after his father died. Yep. Yes. And, um, if you don't educate yourself first, then you're not, you're nothing but dangerous with a weapon in your hands. Now we want leaders. We don't want rank and file folk, Christian men, are to be leaders. That doesn't mean they have an official position always. It just means they know. Paul the Apostle was a prisoner on that boat when they were taken into Rome when he appealed to Caesar. 
And when he got off of that boat, he was, he was given the orders and all of the centurions and the crew were doing what he said. That's the way God has designed his economy. I don't care what your position is. You just relax. You're not to get the credit. You're just to know. And you will know more than all of your teachers, Mr. Militiaman. Like David, he said, I know more than all of my teachers right. yep. because I chew the cud of your word. I chew it. I put it down in mental sod. I take it in every day. And then when I'm not reading it or hearing it, I'm thinking about it. It's governing my life. I'm chewing it. I used to watch the cattle, and my brother and I were boys. We'd go out by the west barn, and the cows would stand around the salt block, which is in an old tractor tire hung on the side of the, of the, of the hammer mill shed, and the blowflies would be blowing around, and they'd stand there and chew cud. And we'd go out and sit down on the ground, look through the cattle gate, and we'd watch them. And we got to count them. How many times they chewed each wad of cud? We'd see their, they just stand there like this, the old cow, and then you'd see her gullet wiggle. And after a gullet wiggle, that means she was bringing up a chunk, a ball of cud. And then we'd watch her start chewing, and we counted. And every time, unless we got arithmetic off, but I remember my brother David, and we concluded as little boys, every cow would chew every ball of cud 27 times. Now, maybe we had that wrong. Maybe it was a certain breed of cow. I don't know, but it was 27 times. Sometimes we'd say 28. Maybe we were counting off. But some, it was uncanny to us how it was consistent. And then after they got done chewing, then you'd see their gullet wiggle again. That's the, that's the ball of cud going back down to their belly. And then they'd stand there, and it'd wiggle again, and and then they'd start chewing again. They'd bring another one up, you see, and then you start all over again. Well, that's the picture that the Bible paints of what the King James translation says, meditate. That Hebrew word translated meditate does not mean meditate. That gives me visions of somebody sitting with their legs crossed and their fingers um. <laughs> contemplating their belly button until they think they don't exist. That's not it. Uh, Chewing the cud is what it is. Meditating. When you see that word meditate in a lot of the translations, it means to chew the cud. But you cannot chew what you haven't already taken in. You've already ingested it. It's in your system. Your blood, as Spurgeon used to say, is bibbling. But once your blood's bibbling, then you've got something to work with. And if you're not in it every day, it will unbibble. <laughs> you gotta, you got to keep it coming. That's right. And just keep doesn't mean just spend two hours a day, 15 minutes. By the way, 15 minutes a day for 15 years, and you'll know more about the Bible than all the preachers in 15 counties. I agree. Now, it's yeah, called the know, slow drip. Okay. Yeah. Well, commit with me to do that. I'm going to give you an assignment. Give everybody that's listening an assignment, unless you've already done it. Do it again. Take the book of 1 John and read that book. In the morning, preferably, just relax. Give yourself a little bit of time and read that book through in one setting. And then the next morning, do the same thing. And then the next morning, do the same thing. And do that for 30 days. And you may like it like I did one time, and I read the book of Jude for 60 days. You'd be, you will be shocked if you do it, how well you will know that book, how you can 
recite the verses if somebody just starts with yeah. You will have contemplated it. And that's not the end. If you do that with section of the sections of the New Testament, um, about that size, for example, the book of 1 John, divided into three parts of seven chapters, there's 21 chapters in John, and read seven chapters every day for 30 days. In two and a half years, you have read the New Testament in 30 times. I used to hand out books, little paperback book, and they were by a fellow named James M. Gray. And James M. Gray uh, wrote a book called How to Master the English Bible. And that was his method. I didn't come up with that method. He did. How to Master the English Bible. James M. Gray was, uh, was uh, on the staff of a Presbyterian church in Sullivan, Indiana, south of Terre Haute at one time. He worked at the YMCA in Terre Haute for a long time. We're talking over 100 years ago. But he just read his English Bible. You know, Augustine, the fourth century, the great theologian, Augustine, Augustine, we say Augustine as Protestants, the great theologian, he didn't know Hebrew. He liked to read Latin more than Greek, but he discerned more from the Bible than the Hebraists that have come along ever since. Why? Because he got the flow of what it was saying. Yes. He and didn't get bogged what, down in the details, did he? Now there, back to the fundamentals. But when you concentrate on the fundamentals, the details start falling in place. You've got the fundamentals, you've got the tree, and all the details are just hanging the ornaments on the fundamentals and enhancing the fundamental, the tree, the tree trunk. Or you could analogize it to the foundation and the structure built upon it. But, yeah, don't, don't get beyond them, and that's the job of the militiaman, to know his job as a militiaman, but to make it understandable, let's get to the fundamentals. He only has two duties. He only has two volumes to deal with. But those volumes and duties are the foundation of all of government. And that's what will bring us back. It's not what goes on in the White House. It's not what goes on in the State House. It's what goes on in your house, wherever you are Amen. and who you are. That's right. I've tried, I've, Tim, I've tried all that other stuff, and I've done it in an intense way. I've run for office, spent over a million dollars in a few years trying to get in. <coughs> and all, all I got out of it, well, all I got out of it, I guess I learned a lot. I learned what were the, were, the, were the stress and the emphasis and the investment ought to be. There's only two things, Tim, that last forever, according to the Bible. One of them is the Word of God, the Bible itself. The grass fades, the flower withers, but the Word of our Lord shall last into infinity. That's what the Hebrew word means, mm -hmm. Olam. That's right. You, you can't, it's the vanishing point out there. You don't know, it just keeps going. Every, it's the horizon. It's the great circle of the earth. You know, a sailor knows what the great circle of the earth is. And as the ship moves across the face of the waters, the horizon around him, which isn't very far, moves with him. That's what that word means when it says forever. It means that as you move toward the horizon, the horizon keeps moving. <laughs> so essentially, the resultant meaning is forever. But the word of our Lord lasts that long. What else lasts forever? Men and women last forever. So let's concentrate our time and our energy on building into men and women, including ourselves. We last forever. The word of God lasts forever. Let's get the word of God into us. And as we do that, it will get into other people. That's the way it works. That's right. If you get it into yourself, don't, don't worry about being a Bible teacher. 
It'll all happen in time. Just get it into yourself, and then it'll begin to flow out, whether you like it or not, whether you think about it or not. That's yeah, that's God. to simplify it. Go ahead, Tim. Yeah, that's no, that's exactly what I've I've said when when the guys asked me to speak at one of the tactical civics Zoom meetings they had. I said I see it as a as an opportunity of you know where we're trying to put the grand jury in place in our county, where we're trying mm -hmm. to put build up the militia in our county. I said I see it as a great opportunity for discipleship because all of this is rooted in the scriptures. And what are we called to do? Are we called to convert men? Nope. That's not our job. That's what God does. But we're called to disciple them. And you can't teach what you don't know. Um, mm -hmm. That old saying, you don't know what you don't know. Uh, you have to learn it. And uh, I think it's good advice. Simple steps. Some people say, oh, you know, that's just too much for me to take in. Well, take a step at a time. Just like what you said. Take one one little book, first John, five chapters. All you got to do, read it. If you, if you know first John that well, you'll yep. know it better than all the preachers. I agree. You. I agree. You know that. There was uh, uh, the agricultural, the land grant schools like uh, University of Illinois and Indiana and Texas A&M and Mizzou over in Missouri and those schools. Um, the University of Illinois land grant, it was back during the terrible war we had here in this own country, the internal war that was made. And the first president was a fellow named... Uh, uh, Gregory, his last name was Gregory, Milton Gregory. He was the first president, Christian man, of course, as everything was back then. Uh, people claim some, some shade of Christianity. But he wrote a book that became well-known, not today, but it was at the time, a little tiny book called The Seven Laws of Teaching. He's buried right there on the campus of the University of Illinois, near the moral plots, which were the agricultural plots that were there from the beginning. Well, they buried him there, but he wrote a book, The Seven Laws of Teaching, and the first law, Tim, this is so simple, it sounds funny, but it's the fundamentals, you see. And these are the things we forget. The first law of teaching you just mentioned, and he puts it as the heading of that first chapter called, The Teacher Must Know That Which He Would Teach. That's the name of the yep. first chapter. You cannot impart what you do not possess. If you had, don't know what's in the Bible, how in the Sam Hill are you going to give it to somebody else? You can't. You can't. You can't. You can't. Yeah. And that's my whole point about the law of God being written. That's a mis misconstruing of what Second, second uh, Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15 say. Well, back, and that's, of course, true of the laws of nature. I knew a girl. I knew a girl. Uh, she's married, been married for years who did not have the ability to feel pain. It's a rare condition that hardly ever occurs, but it is a condition of, of humankind, and once in every 10 million, there's somebody born that way. Beautiful girl, married another fella, but she had to be careful about everything she did because she didn't have the ability to feel pain. If you don't have the ability to feel pain, you could easily... Destroy yourself easily or injure yourself badly. Absolutely. And as a child, how dangerous would that be? Wanting to pick up the hot iron or the handle of the iron skillet on the stove or reach up and grab it. Well, she got through it okay. Or lean up against a pot-bellied stove that's redder than a pistol fired up. All those kinds of things. Well, she's different than me. 
I can learn the laws of nature. When I was a little boy, I tried grabbing the handle of the hot skillet. I remember all those things. I found out that I learned the laws of nature, see? And that's the same way it is with the laws of nature's God. Our Declaration of 76 cites these two volumes, the laws of nature unwritten in the nature of the creator's creation, and the laws of nature's God written in the Bible. William Blackstone says, lex non scripta, or common law, lex scripta, the Bible. The Scottish Enlightenment, John Locke, the fan of the Scottish Enlightenment. That's where that phrase came from. It's in our Declaration of 76, the laws of nature and the laws of nature's God, our common law and the Bible. Where did he get it? He got it from the Scottish Enlightenment. John Witherspoon, the educators of our founders, the president of Princeton, the teacher of men like Madison and others, many others, called the educator of our founders. That was his point of view. There are laws of nature, our common law, our observations of the way things are, the way God is, the way God has fashioned the relationships between things and things, between men and things, and between men and men. Uh, William Blackstone takes that into detail in his first volume. What is law? It's the laws that govern those relationships. And then the laws of nature's God. Now, isn't it something? All of the law of the city is organized according to subject. And when you read the digest of the Roman Code, which is the foundation, the Code of Justinian, of the laws of the city governing every country in the world except the five major common law countries and their former colonies, that's us. Every country in the world is under some form of the Roman Code or the principles of the Roman Code. The Code of Justinian, the Babylonian law, the, the government of men, and then our common law. Their law is organized according to subject. How is our law organized? You get a digest, for example, American jurisprudence and here in America of our common law tradition, 60-some volumes, and it's organized according to relationship. That's the grand difference between the law of the land and the law of the city. You know, it's organized according to husband, wife, uh, debtor, debtee, promisor, promisee, bailor, bailee, and on and on it goes. The Bible's organized the same way. The mm. first half of that fundamental law code is about your relationship vertically with your maker. The second half, the second tables, about your relationship with your horizontally with your fellow man. That's right. It's all of the Bible is consonant with our common law that way. Well, Tim, I don't want to run a field. I'm counting on you to keep us on track. No, I'm letting you, I'm letting you, I'm letting you bring uh, your thoughts in there. And I was just going to, you know, I was thinking Psalm 119, you know, all throughout there, David is talking about, um, you know, meditating upon the law. I love your law. Your, the law is the light of my heart. All these kinds of things that he's saying about that. And we also come over into um, Psalm 1. <clears throat> Some of this imagery that you gave us before is right here in the midst of Psalm 1. Blessed yes. is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree, that you were making mention of that man, planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so. But yeah. like the chaff, <laughs> yeah. yeah, like the chaff which the wind driveth away, therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So I, you know, I was thinking of that when you were giving those references of, 
this is exactly how scripture lays it out. It's laying it out as this very simple thing. It's not a complicated thing. I mean, what is it to, to plant a tree by the water? Well, you got to dig a little hole and you put it in there and you fill it in. And guess what? It naturally gets roots on it and it goes down deep. It gets water and uh, it begins to grow from there and it grows strong. And it's not just going to go, you know, a foot deep. Those roots are going to go way, way down into into the ground, especially if water's nearby. It's going to they're going to go way deep down in the ground and then he's going to bear fruit from it. Isn't that what Jesus said? If you remain yeah. in me, you will bear what? Much, Much fruit. But apart from me. You do nothing. You're nothing. you're like that fig tree. You got a bunch of leaves on you, but you don't have any fruit. Yes, and uh, the husbandman will say, "Dig it up by the roots and throw it in the fire." That's what the Bible says. That's right. Yep. I don't want to be in that in that crowd, but God will give you the desire. If you're born from above, you will have you have the desire to know. The I will totally of God. agree. I totally yeah, agree. It, it, yeah, we were talking. We were talking with. Uh, now this is the third show that I've done for the day. We're pre-recording, but and this is a Thursday. And um, the 29th of September of, of when we're pre-recording this, and we had a show on this morning of a husband and wife starting uh, Set Apart Farms, and they're wanting to help veterans and their families. They understand it's not a thing you get to go for a week and that's going to fix stuff. No, nope. six to nine months, they're wanting to build habits in them. They want them to know the Word of God. They believe that's a part of the healing process is exactly what we're talking about here. And they want them to learn how to um, cultivate their own foods, which is going to be their own medicines uh, and things like this that they need to do for themselves. But somebody has to teach them. And it was really interesting. Both of these guys, the the, the husband had been, uh, I guess, backslidden as, as what he would call it, he'd fallen away. And his wife was a pagan. And the same day he was going to take his life. And he said, God spoke to me in audible, audible voice saying, remember me saw a sign behind him as he was about to shoot his brains out that said, remember me. He goes home. His wife has five Bibles, the same color, sent from friends. She's in the floor crying. Uh, she had been speaking out against the Bible, against Christ and all this, and God was doing work in there. And one, the thing that they, they both said was, we had a desire to read the Bible. We had a desire <laughs> for it. And that, that doesn't come naturally. That comes from the work of God in the person. There's no doubt in my mind, because I had that that's too, right. I had the same thing. And that's exactly what Romans chapter 2, verse 14 and 15 says, that the work of the gumption breath of God, the person of the Holy Spirit works, uh, rots a work in the heart that gives you that desire to learn God's will. And the God's will, of course, comes in those two volumes, but the court of last resort is in that written volume. Now, while we're on the subject, I don't want to neglect to make the point that every, every government, whether false or true, and there are only two possibilities fundamentally, as I had said, the law of the land or the law of the city, every government has a law. And without law, there is no government. And what is law? It is the will of the sovereign. And who is the sovereign? He is the one from whose decision there is no appeal in individual instances. A God is one that somebody takes as the final decider of right and wrong in individual instances from whose decision there is no appeal. Uh, everybody has a God. It could be themselves. I've been doing uh, a poll for years, decades, asking people, well, who do you take for your final decider of right and wrong from whose decision there is no appeal? Some people say the Supreme Court of the United States. A lot of people say themselves. Some people take a philosopher or a professor. 
Well, whoever you take to be your final decider of right and wrong from whom decision, whose decision, there is no appeal in individual instances is your, we call it in the Anglo-Saxon tongue, your God, your lawgiver. That's the most powerful power That's right. there is in the created order. Now, whoever you take for your lawgiver, when your lawgiver goes down, you're going down. Uh, if you take yourself, you're silly. No, no, you're crazy. You're insane. If France said, France really said this, and this was the cry of France, and this was the cry of Napoleon in those days. Napoleon says, France is me, and I am France. And the Frenchman said, we are Napoleon, and Napoleon is us. And they subsumed their identity in their lawgiver. And he distributed to them the code Napoleon which was nothing more than Justinian's code with his name on it. <laughs> like Bismarck's code is the code of Justinian of the Roman Empire with his name on it. And on and on we go around the world. Well, when Napoleon went down, France went down. And when France went down, Napoleon went down. Hitch your wagon, get coate, hook up the harness, fasten the tugs to the one that can't go down. Amen. And you won't go down either. Amen. Let's, be, let's be serious here. So he is your lawgiver, final decider. But here's what God has done. Our maker, our final decider of right and wrong in individual instances from whose decision there is no appeal. And he has given us the revelation of his will in two volumes, the laws of nature unwritten in the nature of things and the laws of nature's God written in the Bible. And then he says to us, okay, he says, you militia, down there on land, I am delegating something to you. I am delegating you the, re the responsibility, the duty to be little gods with a G down here on land, subject to my final decision, but down here on land in this yep. life, little G. Yeah. Ye are gods, said the psalmist. Ye are gods, said Jesus Christ, quoting, I believe it was Psalm 89. You can go look it up yourself. But he said that. What did he mean? Here's what he meant. And this is in our common law tradition. It's not in the rest of the world. In our common law tradition, the final decider of right and wrong in individual instances from whose decision there is no appeal among men is the 12-man jury. And also, a buffer to that is the grand jury. And the duty of the juror in both cases, Tim, is to, the grand jury is to say yes to the government or to say no. It's black or white, nothing complicated, yes or no. Yes, you may try this person for a crime, or no, you may not. That's the duty of the grand juror, which is the militiaman. That's one of his duties. What's the other duty of the grand juror? At trial, the pettit jury, the trial jury, yes, Mr. Government, you may take this man's life, liberty, or property, or a combination thereof, or no, you may not. It's either yes or no. There is no in-between there is no gray area. It's up or down, in or out, black or white, yes or no, saint or ain't. That's the way God operates, friends. Yep. He makes it simple for us. And he says, you don't have to be a theologian. It's either yes or no. But you do need to know some fundamentals about the nature of, the, of your maker, the final decider of right and wrong, what is right and what is wrong. In England yet today, Tim, and I haven't checked in a few years, but I assume it's still true. And they've always taken natural pride in this. In their common law country, they have no statute on the books for murder to define what it is. They impanel the jury, 
common law country in a murder case, and they prove either the man done it or he didn't. Who done it? Did he do it? And the jury just has to say yes or no because they're appealing to them as Christian men. They always have. Interesting. I was, I was refreshed to see the funeral of Queen Lizzie. And I'm like John Knox, the blast of the trumpet. Women have left their role if they become chief executives and head of the church, like Lizzie was. Yes. But John Knox became good friends with Elizabeth I, <laughs> even though he said, I disapprove of, what you, of your position. But I was encouraged to hear the Christian tenor and nature of her, her funeral. They, they made it very Christian. And it gave me a little bit of hope about Britain. I mean, if they're going to say that, which I know the law requires them to say, it's a Christian nation by law. Obviously, they don't follow that very close. But it was encouraging to hear them do that and to say that this is the gospel of Jesus Christ over and over and over again. <clears throat> so let's be encouraged, friends, neighbors, and kin. Uh, God has won. It's just our job to get in the harness and do like the armor bearer of uh, David's friend. What was that guy's name that was David's close friend? Jonathan. The son, Jonathan. The armor bearer just followed up and cleaned up after he slaughtered the enemy. That's all we're doing. Oh, by the way, the object isn't to slaughter the enemy. The object is not revolution. Our Declaration of 76 has no call to arms in it. It's a call to law. That's right. And a shifting dependence. Yep. I got a natural amen corner here. Well, the, no, but the, the, the thing that you're saying is I had a guy in one of the Rumble uh, deals that I, uh, the one of the shows I did in Rumble just like last week, and he yeah. couldn't get that to save his life. He kept saying, well, the Declaration was a revolution, you know, kind of document. I'm like, no, you don't know what it's saying. I said, no. it is a peaceable document saying we're severing our ties from you so that yeah. we can live in peace and you can go do whatever you want to do over here. But we're going to live in peace under the creator who made us because we have certain rights that we've been given in order to do the duties that God has commanded that we do. And this guy couldn't grasp that to save his life. And I said, he says, well, what do we do? What do we do? And I said, Thomas Jefferson wrote it. And I gave him the thing when they become a threat to this, the, 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 the liberties of the people, it is to, it is the right of the people to dissolve that government and establish new government, uh, that will be, that will make them secure in that, that their liberties mm -hmm. be protected. And I said, what do you mean to tell you the states need to dissolve the central government now? I told him, I said, you could bring back all the traitors. They'll come right back home because they'll be happy to come back home. And then you start getting them, you start putting that grand jury to have them held accountable under state law that you have, mm -hmm. where they've been treasonous right. to you. And that way you're not, no longer are you, uh, are you to the thing I, I brought out the, the Articles of Confederation. We've got six resolutions, Brent. I don't know if, mm -hmm. if you know this, six resolutions since September of last year uh, mm -hmm. from three different congressmen, I should say two congresswomen and one congressman uh, to impeach the guy in the White House. Mm -hmm. And the most they can get on one of them is seven co-sponsors. They can't even get them out of committee. Everybody knows mm -hmm. the guy is a fraud and that uh, that he's committed treason. And yet, what does the Constitution say? The only people that who can who have the sole power of impeachment is who? 
the House. Yeah. And the only mm-hmm. people who can try it is the Senate, and they can't try it if the House doesn't impeach. So you're the people are left going, what do we do? And the first mm-hmm. thing is that that self-government, and then it is to begin building these these things of the grand jury in our county and the militia in our county. That's where all of the real politics go because nobody from DC is coming down here to get you except maybe, well, the FBI is doing some of that stuff now, but uh, usually it's somebody who is in your own city or your county and the people have got to just get out of this thing that they can somehow pay some guy with a badge and a gun to do what God has called them to do. And that's, I think that's the real difference. I think that's the difference of the mindset of the real militia man. And as you said, the law of the city, badge and gun guy there there's a different mindset to those two and i'm not trying to i'm not for people being cop killers i'm not telling people to go murder any of that stuff but i i have said if we're going to defund the police which i think we should we're going to have to have something to fill that vacuum because if we don't somebody else with some other you know crazy wild-eyed scheme is going to come fill that and then we we've, we've got a bigger problem than we had before the 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 thing is for us as men to learn what our duty is and then start to go and perform it. Yes, and we have to dig in. There's so much could be said. And one of the things that ought to be said is that revolution is always evil in every case. Because revolution is a law of the city doctrine. And some countries live in perpetual revolution. What does that mean? Assassination, coup, bloodshed. And every time it revolves around, that's what revolution means. It revolves right around to the same point, only worse. Revolution always seeks to avenge the past. But revolution, doing that, never provides for the future. The reason what happened in America was successful, no other revolution in the history of mankind, no revolution has ever been successful. And what happened in America was not a revolution. We weren't trying to avenge the past. We liked what we had, and we just said, we want to keep it. We want to Secure the future. That's what the Declaration of 76 says. It's a common law document, a common law complaint. If you want to understand revolution a little better, I say this just in passing, it would take effort. But the the consummate book on the subject is by Harold Berriman. He was professor at the law school at Harvard. They got fed up with his conservatism, forced him out. He ended up teaching at Emory Law School down in Georgia. He wrote a book called Law and Revolution, and it's an unpacking of the mother of all revolutions, which was the papal revolution of the 11th century and the discovery of the Code of Justinian and the solidifying, in a way it had never been solidified, the Babylonian law throughout Europe and throughout the world, the establishment of the university system beginning at Bologna, Italy. That's why we still say Bologna yet today. And then the revolutions that grew out of the the papal revolution, as Behrman calls it, the Russian Revolution, and all the revolutions of the communist states, the French Revolution first, of course. What happened in America was not revolution. No, not at all. That's a doctrine of the law of the city. We didn't have that happen to us, and that's why we're such a vibrant, have been such a vibrant country, because we didn't have a revolution. Yeah, we, we, didn't change any, we didn't change anything. Everything just stayed the way it was. We just changed our dependence on the crown of England. Right. Go ahead. Yeah, well, th- that's the difference. If people go back and they look, that there was the French Revolution that was going on virtually at the same time. And when you see that, they did not have, you know, even though you had, uh, you know, 
Calvin's influence out of Geneva and such that was tremendous, um, mm -hmm. preaching the law of God and then men taking that up and, and such. But they didn't have that. And so you saw this just bloodthirsty people just going after anybody and everybody beheading all these people. And I'm not saying some of them didn't deserve it. Some of them did, but, <laughs> but, but I mean, then they got to where they were, it was just after everybody and it was every man for himself kind of thing. Whereas the, the difference was, even though there was bloodshed here in the, in the colonies, um, the, the, it was the pulpits that were behind them pointing to the law of God and saying, you know, our appeal is like what you said, our appeal is to the one who can't go down. And he yeah. sees all things. And so I, I, I see that going on as well. Look, we, we've gone really long. And uh, I what I'm hoping from this is that people see, you know, normally we would talk about grand jury and and uh, and militia. We talk about all these different functions and stuff. And we had that. But I think our discussion here this morning has been good in saying, here's the foundation for both of them. Get these things right and you're, you'll be able and equipped to perform both duties if you do that. And so what I'm going to do, Brent, is I'm going to give the last word to you, uh, maybe a final exhortation to the people here. And then if you would tell people where they can find out more about you. Thank you, Tim. And I, I know it's been a long day for you, Tim. And I appreciate you taking time to talk with me too and give me an opportunity to uncork what builds up inside of me. The friends, neighbors, and kin just take it from an older guy. I guess I'm older now. I've tried a whole lot of different things in life. I've tried to do things that didn't even come close to working. And I've tried a lot of things that just taught me what wouldn't work, that wasn't, weren't bad in, them, in and of themselves. But when it comes right down to it, our problem is the individual, man and woman, just simply learning and doing the will of God. You say you got a problem over here, the country's falling apart over there, the enemy, and the thing they're afraid of in the government is you at home with your family just doing right. And you cannot do what you do not know. And you do not know the Bible if you're not in it every day, even if you think you went to Sunday school. As a little child, you've forgotten it. You need to soak your blood in it till it's bibbling. You need to put the Word of God in mental sod. Just be consistent at it. Each day, a little bit. And then as you're doing that, Learn what the Bible says about the militia. Um, if you go to commonlawyer.com, we've devoted ourselves to those two volumes. And whatever time I've got left, that's what I want to get across to people, those two volumes. We're down to the fundamentals. That's what's missing. The laws of nature, unwritten in the nature of God's creation, are common law, and the laws of nature's God in the Bible. Go to commonlawyer.com, www.commonlawyer.com, Join us for our courses. We've started a law school there to teach the fundamentals of our common law, the law of the land. We're right now in a course called the Four Boxes of Freedom, Freedom's Four Boxes, the ballot box, or the soap box, the ballot box, the jury box, and the ammunition box. And those are four symbols of four fundamental duties. A fundamental duty is a duty direct to the individual from God. It's you and God. As John Wycliffe said, the first man to translate the Bible in the whole Bible into English, he said, under the open vault of heaven, God's man receives his duties from the law of the land, which comes to the land and then comes to him. He is responsible, responsible direct to God for those fundamental, fundamental, 
duties. It starts with you knowing what your duty is. You cannot do what you do not know. So go to the website. We're teaching a class on the four boxes of liberty. We just concluded today that the next 12-week class, meeting once a week, at the winter's end of court, will be will be an exposition, clause by clause and blow by blow, of Magna Carta. Magna Carta. Magna Carta is not the beginning of our common law, but it certainly is as we move from the fog of antiquity up to the present, there are solid stepping stones of our common law tradition. The laws of King Edward the Confessor, the laws they were called of King Alfred going before Magna Carta, the Mumultine laws going before Alfred way back before 500 A.D., but Magna Carta is one of those solid stepping stones. We're going to break it down and unpack it clause by clause and blow by blow after this course on the four boxes of freedom. There are other courses we've got in the can, each one of them 12 sessions long. And you can access those. They're audio and visual. And we provide certificates, then a diploma to finish all the courses. I'm trying to teach, Tim, the courses that I thought were well taught in law school, there are some, and also the courses that should have been taught to me and weren't, and Magna Carta is one of them. So that's the next one we're going to do. We're going to do a course, a common lawyer translates and annotates the Bible, translating from the original tongues, the Hebrew, the Aramaic, and the Greek. I call it the good book uncooked. A common lawyer translates and annotates the Bible, 36,000 footnotes, about 150 appendices tracing major themes through the warp and the woof of the text of the context of that book called the Bible. Uh, toward a raw translation, the comparative law text you can get, 958 pages. Uh, the, the law of the land versus the law of the city from the settling of the city of Babylon forward. And several other smaller booklets about our common law tradition and different aspects of it. As those are distinguished from the law of the city. Go to commonlawyer.com, www.commonlawyer.com, and you can listen to us also on other platforms in the Times, and the links are there. You can listen on your iPhone or even your computer. Well, thank you again, Tim, and we'll see you at commonlawyer.com, and Tim and I will be on again, I hope, because yeah, I enjoy I, talking to him. Well, absolutely, absolutely, and I, I know the people really love to hear what you have to say and how you say it. Um, well, you know, we, I, I joke with them that they got, they come in here and listen to a redneck out here in South Carolina. And, uh, I think, I think you got a little Southern in you too. Maybe, maybe it's just out West. I, I don't know, but you got a little Southern in you too. And, uh, I, I think that that helps to bring across, uh, these truths that we're talking about. So I know other people appreciate it. I always, the, the past two times have just been great. Uh, I, the, I think the first, the first time we talked, uh, in the last show, I just came away going, gosh, I, I didn't know that. I, I Now I see something, how that fits. And I, I think this is how God works, where he sharpens us, where he, you know, he's given certain gifts of teaching to certain people and uh, and, and using those gifts to build up the body. So uh, we really appreciate you coming on, Brant. And yes, we will have you back on. Uh, maybe we'll dig up some other things. We'll, we'll come up with another topic that we'll talk about again. But I hope this has been beneficial to everybody listening. Uh, Brant, if you'll hang on, I'll say goodbye to you off air. Guys, be sure to catch Bradley at 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, sonsoflibertymedia.com. And we'll be back with you in the morning, Lord willing, 6 a.m. 
bright and early. See you then.